My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and today I am joined by Alex Stewart. Hello. Hello. And uh, Simon Harrison, my friend and yours. Hello. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. A little bit warm. It is hot here today, isn't it? A little bit. It's unpleasant, yeah. But uh, Simon is here because today we are doing a sort of second edition of the uh, Sensible Transfers uh, podcast. I don't know if you know, but we've been making videos about this as well where we pick a football club, and uh, we identify problem areas and then suggest solutions in the form of incoming players, i.e. sensible transfers. And we've been having a bit of fun with this on the podcast as well. A couple of weeks ago, we asked for listeners to suggest team names and roles on the pitch. And then Alex went through all of his big databases that he's drawn on the wall in blood in his bedroom at home in his parents' house and uh, picked out the best footballers that might fill those roles uh, from an analytical point of view as well as from a statistical point of view. So the idea is that we are looking for players who are not only good players as individuals, but will fit the systems that we are, that the teams that we're suggesting are playing. And today we're doing a La Liga version, which is why we've invited our friend Simon here, because he is our La Liga expert friend, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, no pressure. Yeah, not, not at all. I mean, I suppose given the fact that Real Madrid have already spent over 300 million, the sensible transfers... He's already been put to the test, but uh, yeah, definitely there's a lot, to, uh, a lot to talk about from the top three, especially. Yeah. Incidentally, uh, people watching might be able to just make out behind Simon's head. Uh, we, we're also on YouTube, by the way, if you are just listening and you want to watch, you can search for TIFO Podcast on YouTube. Uh, people might be able to make out on the poster just behind Simon's head that we've scribbled up some dates there uh, for which teams we're doing in order. This is for the video version. And we have specifically left Real Madrid to the last one right at the end of the summer <laughs> so that we can do a retrospective version of their summer because, as you said, they've already spent a lot of money. Where better to start then than with Real Madrid? Uh, we have a number of incoming players already. So today we're going to discuss those players, whether or not they are sensible. I wonder what we're going to find, uh, how they might fit into the system and if there are any other problem areas in the team which players might be able to solve those problems for us. So let us begin then with Real Madrid. Simon, would you give us a sort of brief overview of where the team's problems were on the pitch last season? And of course, it's Real Madrid, so there aren't a huge number. But if there are weaknesses anywhere in the team that could be replaced, forget about the players who already joined, uh, where were they? I mean, it's kind of been a, partly a lack of identity in general. I think that's kind of one big problem. Once Zidane had left, that was sort of a warning sign that things weren't going all too well and maybe he thought the steam was running out given that, you know, they just won the Champions League three times in a row. So then bringing in Lopetegui, he had a different style. They thought, okay, this is a manager that's worked with Spain at national level all the way through the youth ranks. He's won things in that realm of football. So we've bought all of these young Spanish players. We've got people coming through the academy. Let's see what we can do. And it just didn't really translate into success, to be honest. I mean, the underlying numbers weren't horrific or anything like that, but they weren't good enough for the high pressure environment they're in. So Zidane returns, it reverts back to what he used to go with, which is more, you know, trusting in the individuals over the system. And now 
when you've got a manager that wants to do that, you need to give him the best possible players because he can't mask over anything or paper over the cracks with clever tactics, little tweaks here and there. That's not the kind of manager he is. So really, they, they had an issue last season um, at left back. Marcelo was far below the level needed to play at Real Madrid. Um, Sergio Reguilón, a, a youth product, did really, really well. But they've obviously brought in Ferland Mendy. Um, they were struggling as well with Ronaldo having left. I mean, he, whenever he's not involved, you know, that's 30 goals that they don't have anymore. Now they've brought in Aiden Hazard and Luka Jovic, who've both, you know, between them, you know, getting sort of 30, 40 goals last season. I mean, really, in terms of what deals have been done, they all kind of make sense. And it, but it, there is also the problem that it is a bloated squad. There are too many midfielders. There are a lot of egos as well. Um, and it's kind of Zidane to separate the, the wheat from the draft, figure out what he wants to go with. He'll probably stick with the 4-3-3 that he went with successfully. Um, but I would say that they've had a plan for a while. They've known since Zidane came back in, he will have had demands and they've gone and done it as quickly as possible. And that's the situation they needed to be in because it kind of felt through the whole of last season that it was never really quite a plan. They didn't buy all too much last summer. Um, so now it does feel a bit more sensible, even if the fees involved mm. don't look it on the surface, I suppose. Alex, Simon says that, which is a, an interesting point for us, because we've run into these problems before when you've tried to write uh, tactics explained videos with Real Madrid under Zinedine Zidane. As Simon says, the priority of individual over system makes that quite difficult for us, doesn't it? And are you seeing a return to that now with the kind of players that have been signed already this summer? I'd say yes. Uh, I mean, I think I think the issue with uh, with Real is is exactly what Simon says. We're going to keep saying Simon says, aren't we? This is going to be a, yes. a regular thing during this podcast. People who aren't from England won't understand that. Okay, fine. Um, I also don't know how to explain it. No, it's. Uh, it's I also, also don't want anyone to because it's definitely okay. a part of my childhood that was recurring. Um, at best, so you know, yeah, yeah. We can, we well, can, okay, we'll gloss over, we'll that. over that. Yeah. Simon says um, not to, so we we won't. I mean, it's 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 an oddly unbalanced squad, and and I think in terms of the players that have been brought in, Mendy makes sense as a, a really talented, still pretty young left back, very attacking in terms of his instincts. I think that's a good move. Obviously, Jovic is an extraordinarily gifted young striker still only 21, performed marvellously well with Frankfurt. and he could have gone anywhere, right? Oh, well, yeah, definitely. We thought he was going to Barcelona before he went to Real Madrid. Yes, I think, I think that was a heavy link as well, which, I mean, I think Real kind of makes more sense because um, the one thing that Jovic probably isn't used to is playing in a, a system that is more you know, kind of intricate, small passes and lots of movement. And that's not what he's been used to with, with Frankfurt. It's more direct there. It's more um, physical, the way that he plays. So I could see the adaptation to Madrid being a little bit easier for him. And Hazard is an extraordinarily gifted player as well. But there are definitely questions. The midfield, to me, needs... It doesn't need an overhaul because there are some really talented, like uh, Salabas, Danny Salabas, who I'm sure Simon will know more about than I, but he... He looks very, very good, particularly the um, Spain under-21 recent performances. But it still feels like there's a reliance on Cruz and Modric. These are players who are at their peak, possibly past it. So how are they going to be fitted in? Is Benzema going to play some sort of role? If 
if they play a 4-3-3, I can't see Benzema getting in over Jovic because I don't think he's as good. But then he does bring an aspect of link-up play that, that Jovic didn't have to do at Frankfurt because he had Rebic and Heller playing off him. So how does that work? How do the transitions from midfield work? So I think, I think Zidane has a lot of questions to, to work out the answers to. And like you say, you know, he's a manager who seems to have, uh, he seems most equipped to deal with that kind of Galacticos mentality of let's assemble a squad of really, really high quality players and let them do stuff. How does it work though? Because th- this is, the, you know, I, I genuinely don't. I, and they sort of flummox Tifo in a way. Yeah. It's, it's to our detriment because we spend so much time talking about systems and intricacies and little tweaks and how important the, the tiny details are. And yet to our eyes and to, to most people's eyes, Zidane at Madrid, it, it doesn't appear to really be doing anything that complicated. Well, I mean, there, 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 are, there are instances of in-game management that have been highlighted. So, for example, pushing defensive lines further forwards or attacking certain areas of weakness. I think, I think Zidane possibly is better at those things than he is at setting out a team in the first instance because he probably still has that sort of player's eye for what's happening during the course of a game so he can spot the things that he as a player would have targeted or sought to exploit. So I think in those terms, it's not that he's tactically naive or incompetent, but possibly because of the quality of players that he's managed and he's only ever managed that quality of player, he doesn't need necessarily to think about how to mitigate the opponent's strengths and so on in the same kind of way as a tactician who's come up through managing smaller sides does. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really tricky, and you and I have had this discussion before about, you know, if you were to just spend all of the money and buy the best player in each position on the pitch, would that team kind of cruise the league or would you have to do things? And, you know, of course, management is as much about man management and ego management and finessing all of those relationships as it is, you know, drilling a particular kind of defensive line or pressing system. So he's obviously good at aspects of that job. We should also point out that at no point has Zidane cruised, cruised the league, right? I mean, that's the odd thing about Real Madrid is that they won the Champions League three times in a row, but they didn't win domestically in any of those seasons, I mean, did they, it? La Liga. Won, it was 16-17, uh, they won the league, but it wasn't, you know, convincing or anything like that. Um, I think it kind of matches up because it makes sense that if you've got a manager who hasn't got a particular um, playbook to go from, there's no consistencies there tactically. It does depend on the player, well, even the player's moods, I suppose. Like, are your best players feeling good? Are they feeling fit? Are they confident? Is there some problems they've got at home that are like getting in the way? Or when you're putting teams out and you've very much got this Galactico, you know, you, you can turn up to these Champions League games that are once every every week or every other week. Um, there's some games in that which don't mean anything. I mean, if you've already gone through in the group and you know you're going through, it's a dead rubber and you don't get those in La Liga really. So it does kind of make sense that they have success in the more short-term competitions so far, because I think if a, as a coach, tactically, you get found out if there are big weaknesses over the course of a longer season, and especially against Barcelona, who have been very, very consistent in the last few years as well, there's nowhere to hide. And I think that kind of, it, it shows that, you know, with Zidane coming back, does that mean that Real Madrid would prefer to win the Champions League once again? Or does it mean that they're going to keep throwing money at it until it makes sense in, in mm. domestically and in, in Europe as well. Um, 
But yeah, he's definitely the nemesis of Tifa, I'd say, as he's <laughs> um, oh, He's kind him. of everything that everyone's wanting to do that's progressive in the game in terms of, you know, your, your yeah. analytics, tactics, everything like that. Um, kind of just laughs in the face of it a little bit and, and still gets the best performances out of these players. And even still, um, there was some footage of during the, a Champions League final, Zidane in the dressing room, um, giving a bit of a team talk, you know, rallying his players. And you were kind of expecting there to be this kind of rousing, like movie-esque team talk. And it really just wasn't that at all either. So I was thinking, well, he might be this amazing motivator, but maybe it is, like you said, Alex, maybe it is just, you know, we're, we're having this new Galactico era. Right. Hazard is a new, you know, this new big shiny toy that they've bought. And who better than someone who's gone through that in the past and one thing at the club before. So, I mean, it is, it is very interesting to me that, you know, obviously in, in Spanish football, there are, there are three clear big sides. And then there's a number of sides like Sevilla, Valencia underneath that. And obviously some of these kind of Aravis clubs that are doing surprisingly well, like Ibar, but Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, certainly on Atletico under Simeone and Barcelona since the kind of the advent of La Masia and, you know, post Cruyff have had a very clear tactical footballing identity. Yeah. It's, it's immediately apparent what it is they're seeking to do. And the degree to which they achieve that is obviously based on players and so on, but, but it's, it's obvious. Real Madrid's footballing identity doesn't seem to be anything to do with tactics. It seems to be to do with with kind of glamour and acquisitions and, and achieving success by any means. And I'm not criticising that. I'm just saying that it's, it's interesting that, like Simon says, as, as, as teams increasingly seem to be moving towards establishing footballing identities that can be associated with them and then finding the players to fit that, mm. Real's is still... Well, you know, Hazard's been the best player in the Premier League on and off for the last five, six, seven years. Let's just go and buy him. Let's have him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, well, before we go on to discuss uh, any players who are being rumoured to be approached by Real Madrid um, or our own possible options for the team to choose, I suppose, what did, had they a different philosophy? I'm fairly certain any names that you guys say here today aren't going to be <laughs> scouted by Madrid. But... Uh, tell me a little bit about Rodrigo because I think we haven't we haven't spoken about him much yet. Yeah, well, it's kind of a, a strange one. Like it was announced a, a while ago. It wasn't something that sort of you know been been pulled out from from the hat in the last few weeks, as we've seen with the likes of Jovic, Mendy. Um, it's something that's been in the pipeline for a while. Follows the same sort of style, I guess, in terms of them going and getting Vinicius Junior, um, paying a lot of money for a very very young player. Um. I mean, it is one of those things. It's been strange at Real Madrid. They went from, obviously, while they were winning the Champions League year on year, the transfer policy was kind of, we've got a fantastic team. It can beat anyone on their day. So we're going to, you know, go and buy some young players that are talented. We're going to hoover up a lot of talent out of Spain. You know, they go and sign Marco Asensio, Jesus Vallejo, Danny Ceballos, all these different players from other clubs and just sort of almost have a kind of a, a little Bayern Munich spree of just like picking up some really talented youngsters that, you know, would have done very, very well elsewhere as well. Um, and, and he's sort of, they've gone out and spent all this money um, this summer and he might have sort of been one of the more, one of the last sort of long-term prospects maybe that they'll buy until they get things right and they get things winning again. Um, but he's again, you know, um, Vinicius Junior's come in and done very, very well. Um, been 
I would say, probably second best Real Madrid player last season, I would say, probably. And he was, you know, a boy, pretty much. Um, he's had to grow up very, very quickly. And I think Rodrigo can, can see that. Um, he can see that there's room. He'll get the odd opportunity, maybe. Um, but that you have to grab it with two hands because otherwise you end up like Danny Ceballos, who Alex has talked about a little bit, and he's easily good enough to be playing for Real Madrid's first team. And even though he's played well when he's been called upon, sometimes just the situation isn't quite right. And, and with Rodrigo, it's the same thing for me. I think maybe it's not quite the right situation for him, but he's coming, he's been learning Spanish, he wants to succeed here. He can look at Vinicius and say, he's coming, he's done well, he's made an impact. Can I do the same thing? I mean, Vinicius is now playing, he hasn't gone to Copa America, but he was in the squads leading up to it. Um, so in terms of how he looks at how he plays as an attacker, as someone that wants to drive and, and take the game to the opposition, in one way, it's kind of like Vinicius is here, I can do it too. In the same way, it's kind of Vinicius is here, will I get the chance? Right. But I mean, when you see someone that's special, I think they need to gamble on it. And it just so happens that when other teams gamble, they spend a few million when Real Madrid gamble, they can spend 45. <laughs> and it's just the nature of the beast a little bit, I think. How do I say his full name? Rodrigo Goez? Um, I'm not sure, but obviously it makes for a lot of puns. Um, <laughs> he, goes. he goes. Yeah, I need to find that out. It's part of the issue with Real Madrid as well, that, that there's some of the talented Spanish players, whether it's Isco or Asensio or Celebus, they're kind of, they're, they're basically like tens really, aren't they? But they're they're playing in a system that doesn't really require a 10, particularly given that Benzema is the sort of striker who drops off to link. So they're not, they're not natural replacements for, I suppose they're more of a natural replacement for Modric maybe than they are for Cruz. But the, the system, they've got very good players, very good Spanish players, but the system doesn't really fit the way that they seek to play. They'd be better off if they were at Barcelona and they were playing that sort of much more... Um, you know, the, the, the midfielders who play as kind of like eight tens rather than an eight and an eight and a six. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, it's been obvious for Spain under 21s that Danny Zabias can, can go and change a game and, and do whatever he likes. It's another thing in a squad such as Real Madrid's that you allow a young player who's got a lot of belief about him and a lot of ego, will he be allowed to do that same sort of thing? And Zidane's shown a lot of loyalty to players that have won him things in the past. And I think that's one of the things which maybe gets in the way of him being a bit more progressive in terms of who he picks. But definitely that there's no number 10. I mean, Benzema comes in and he links play up and it's kind of, where can you fit other players? So, I mean, we've seen the likes of Visco, they'd be shoehorned in out wide. And I think the hope would be that they see enough of the ball that Mendy and Carvajal or Marcelo or Aldriozola, whoever it may be, they provide the width and it, then it allows these players to drift into areas that they like. But, but definitely it's not ideal if you're going up against opponents in the Champions League that are on a similar level to you. It can maybe be a bit of a hindrance and then you have to go with your team selectioners maybe making a bit more sense off the ball. Because it's one thing to have a team that makes sense on the ball and Real Madrid will often sort of dominate teams, especially at home, because teams are prepared to be dominated a little bit more and mm. sit a little bit deeper and play a little bit cuter. Um, but yeah, I do think it's kind of a problem with Spain in general. I think a lot of their most talented players at the moment at Real Madrid and elsewhere in the national setup under 21 level, under 19 level, you've got so many good midfielders. It's quite absurd. And there's an obvious dearth of central defenders. That's one thing that they're very nervous about inside the Spanish youth setup, that there's not really many. There's Eric Garcia at Man City. Aside from that, there's other players who 
they're not bad players, but they're certainly not. We're in an era now where they're looking at PK and Ramos. You know, PK's mm. not around anymore. Ramos won't be around forever. Um, and then also the same goes for strikers as well. And I think that obviously with Real Madrid having gone around and bought all of the best talent they can, that means that they've bought a lot of the most talented area of the field as well. And they've sort of got this big bloated amount of midfielders um, who don't quite fit. I think that there's probably room for maybe one sort of 10 of sorts, given that they play with a midfield three, someone can anchor it in Casemiro. Um, and then you've sort of got Modric and then another player like maybe you'd sacrifice one of Cruz or Modric and let someone like Danny Sabayas off, off the lead a little bit and let him go and affect the game how he wants to. But definitely at the same time, it's not natural. It's not asking players to play maybe where they've liked to in the past. And that can be an issue definitely. And obviously it, it creates, it's unfair to expect a player to have come through being central to teams and central to systems. And then suddenly the spotlight's not on them. Maybe the team isn't playing through them as much and, you know, that's, I mean, obviously it's a massive issue because the, the stakes are so, so high at a club like Real Madrid. Mm. Well, this is a good opportunity for us to uh, briefly discuss two players who've been frequently linked with Real Madrid. One of them more recently, which is Paul Pogba. Uh, Christian Eriksen is the other one who's been linked with Madrid for some summers now and, and ongoing during the season. So I'm, I'm going to ask you about which one of those you think might fit. It sounds like maybe there is room for a player like that. And whilst uh, Simon is doing that, Alex, could I ask you to have a quick look at their numbers? Because whilst I know that Eriksson and Pogba are, are very different players, I'd be curious to know who's doing more better things. The only thing I know at the moment is that Eriksson was the worst defender in the Premier League last season for hitting the first man at every corner, which I think is not that useful a stat. So uh, <laughs> Simon, what do you think? You said maybe there's a space in a 10 role potentially if we forget about the players that Real Madrid already have and go with their philosophy, which seems to be just keep buying the best players in the world. Paul Pogba, Christian Eriksen, could you see either of those players fitting into the system? I think Paul Pogba makes sense, not only in terms of the system, but also in terms of everything else as well, because obviously this is a big summer for them. They want to make statements. There's no bigger statement than, you know, signing a player like Paul Pogba. And At 26 all, as well. All the stuff that surrounds him and all of the criticism he's faced through the Mourinho era into... Now the kind of Solskjaer, where do we go next year at Manchester United? Um, you know, Zidane's shown that he can manage a lot of egos. He can keep a lot of big, big players happy. Um, so I think in terms of it being a, a sensible thing to do, I think that normally it would be more of a risk. But I think with Zidane, he's already shown that he can deal with this kind of thing. Um, and I, I just find that, you know, I think Pogba's probably thrived a bit more when everything's a bit more settled around him. He's got a bit more license to do what he likes on the ball um so i mean i think that maybe it's not quite as settled as as maybe he would like if, he, if he's going into this season i mean casemiro he would always anchor the team but maybe he isn't always the most reliable he, he comes up in big games but you know he's definitely not the most he's not reliable consistent week on week um I think then you've also got players like Modric, players like Cruz. You always know what you're going to get out of those. But even they over the last year have maybe dropped off a little bit. Ever since Modric won the Ballon d'Or, he maybe hasn't quite performed as well as he'd like. Uh, Cruz as well, maybe not quite there. And in Cruz as well, you've got a good set-piece taker. So that would eliminate the need for, for Ericsson to come in and take any set-pieces off him as well. Um, so what think- is the Ericsson connection, do you think? Cause it's, it hasn't baffled me, but it, but it's always been something I've found to be a little unlike Real Madrid. I mean, I would, if Barcelona were chasing Christian Eriksen, I would understand. But Real Madrid, it seems an odd one to to me. Yeah, I mean, I, 
obviously he's a great player, but yeah, I don't really see. Maybe it would be understandable a little bit more if they were crying out for for people to to create things from dead balls for them, that kind of thing. Maybe that would throw a bit more weight towards him. But they they're not really crying out for anything like that. Um, I think when you look at just the ages involved, if nothing else, I mean that the resell value, if if that were to happen, um, the marketing. I mean, I would imagine that you know Madrid reputation in in Denmark doesn't really need any help. Um, yeah, it, it is one of those where I think. You could bring in Ericsson, but I don't think that he would be taking a kind of a lead role. I don't think he would be coming in and and really stamping his authority on the team, stamping his identity on it. But you could see that Paul Pogba on those big occasions will pop up with something a little bit special and a little bit outside of it. And I think that just matches with Real Madrid so well because it doesn't matter what the underlying numbers are. It doesn't, all these things, you know, that they're all just sort of conjecture because you've got players that can come in and, yeah. and do these absurd things. And I think Pogba very much falls into that bracket. Him playing as a, you know, as a France international, playing under Zidane. I mean, it all just sort of makes sense in a very unanalytical kind of way. But yeah. it, that's where Real Madrid have thrived. So on that basis, maybe it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so with that challenge then, Alex, do try to analyse with some numbers. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, Pogba... Pogba exceeds Ericsson for goals per 90, but is less for assists. Generally speaking, Pogba looks statistically like a better player on most things. Mm. Ericsson contributes a few more key passes, a few more crosses, but I think that's a reflection of the fact that when he's playing further up the pitch and in a position to do that stuff, he's more looking to play people in, whereas Pogba has a certain dynamism and he he wants to be the person either carrying the ball forwards himself or making the runs into the box to try and receive those passes. I mean, Pogba's the kind of player who would basically improve any midfield, providing that the setup is right around him. Um, I think that's the issue. You know? Which is something that Man United have struggled to, well, to it's, solve. It's always been the issue with, with Pogba at United is, is not Pogba. It's, it's who plays around him, the role that he gets... He he is best on the left-hand side of a midfield three. I think that's fairly understandable and accepted now. And yet, you know, persisting with playing him as a in a double pivot, pushing him forwards into a ten roll. I don't I don't dislike him in a ten roll, um, but I think there you're harnessing other aspects of what he can do. You're you're harnessing the dynamism, the aerial ability, the shooting threat, and less the creativity. Yeah. So if you put him on the left-hand side of a midfield three, particularly with a really good anchoring player and more of a kind of shuttling player alongside... Well, I mean, at Juve, he had uh, Vidal and Pirlo. Right, right exactly. You can't think of a better no. pairing to help you. And and I think in, in that regard, you know, France as well have been able to compensate because France have built players around him you know, with Matuidi playing in an advanced role on the left and mm. Kante in the midfield three that do ensure that there's somebody, and it's not, Pogba doesn't need cover because he's lazy. It's nothing to do with that. Pogba needs cover because his natural instinct will will push him forwards into positions that could leave the team exposed if there wasn't cover there. Which is also incidentally what the coaches want him to do. What would be the use in having Paul Pogba if you didn't allow his instincts to push him forward? I mean, where he can affect the game yeah, most absolutely. positively. And, that, and that's why it never made any sense to play him in a midfield too. He yeah. wasn't used to it. It's not how he played at Juve. It's not how he plays for France. And yet, you know, that's all, well, let's put him there. And uh, 
So I, I could see that. The Ericsson thing, I agree with you. It's never really made a great deal of sense to me. And I, I think he's a bit overrated as a dead ball specialist anyway. Okay, well, let's leave it at that. And we, uh, if I can ask you guys as well, because we asked you to both to prepare one or two suggestions for players, uh, perhaps from within La Liga, perhaps from outside, that who were Real Madrid, and this will make more sense when we talk about Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, but were Real Madrid to, to have a slightly different philosophy as it came to uh, buying players? That might fit in and solve various problems in uh, problem areas. Simon? I mean, I think first and foremost, if you want to go really sensible, incredibly sensible to the I'd point of to. not buying a player, I think Danny Sabias, that we've mentioned before, is extremely, extremely good. And in terms of what Alex was saying, in terms of like Pogba likes to get on the ball, he likes to drive, that is all that Sabias loves to do. And he's shown, I mean, at, at the under 21 championships in 2017 in Poland, he was player of the tournament you would think that that would be enough to give your coach a bit of a kick up the backside and, and give you more of a chance. He's been peripheral um, under Lopetegui, who's worked with a lot of youth players in the past. He gave him a really big chance. And I mean, Lopetegui's uh, second in command was Albert Celades. He was the Spain under-21 coach in 2017. So he knows how good Sabas is. And I've, I felt like at that point when Lopetegui was hired, that Sabias is going to get more minutes. He's shown at Real Betis. He can be the main man. He's got the confidence. He's got the swagger to do it. It makes no sense to me that he hasn't been given more of a chance yet. Can you spell his name? Because on there were numerous comments on the video um, that we did about Tottenham. Incidentally, we will fix this for the next one and for the rest of the series. People um, were slightly upset that we hadn't written the names down so that they could look them up. It strikes me that Sabias might confuse some people in terms of how to spell Sabias, it. Yeah, I mean, um, C-E-B... A double OS. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it's not if you just type in his name. I mean, on, on Twitter, even you'll see compilations of what he's been doing in the Spain under 21 setup over the last couple of weeks. Um, he's popped up with goals for Real Madrid as well. It's not as if he hasn't turned up when he's been given chances, he just hasn't had enough of them. Um, and I think as a midfielder, he could play in that three. He plays in a three for, for Spain. Um, he can grab the game by the scruff of the neck, he can make things happen, he can beat players. He draws players out um, against Italy in the first group game um, this time around in, in Italy. He, they specifically went out and targeted him. They, went, they put more bodies in central midfield. They kicked him. They did everything they could to put him off his stride. And it worked. But against a team like Real Madrid, where everything's, everyone's of a higher calibre, and maybe teams respect them a bit more, because I feel like Italy and Spain at the 21 level see themselves as direct sort of rivals. Um, that you know he'll have a lot more chance to just star in games and stand out, and I think that makes sense to me the most out of anything. I think when I saw Pogba linked, I just thought, well, if you want a player of Pogba's profile, you want someone with confidence or carry the ball, make things happen, technically extremely good, uh, wants to be the big man, wants to be winning things. That's Danny Sabias. It's just not as far down the line, not as well known outside of Spanish football. But I mean, given the fact that like Spain. Um, it's been shown in Spain, the under-21 Euros, um, on free-to-air channels. And people who support Real Madrid will be seeing this and, and wonder, you know, why this player hasn't been given a, enough of a chance yet. How old is he now? Um, he's, I believe, 23, I think. Um, so, I mean, there's so much room for growth there. I saw him link this, this week. Um, supposedly Milan were coming to town and, and looking to talk about him. And I think if they were to let him go, it's stupid. But, I mean, at the same time, how many times do you get the opportunity to pick up someone like Paul Pogba, who's unhappy mm. in his situation? He's a good age. 
and he's so marketable for a massive club like Real Madrid, I can see why they would want to take a gamble. But if they do take the gamble on Pogba and Ceballos is left to stew for another season, I think that's sort of just unforgivable, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of a sensible transfer, it would be in this case, you've already spent 300 million. You've got a player there. He's coming. He's in fantastic form. So, you know, just give him some minutes and see what happens, I think. Nice. That's so sensible, isn't it? it? It's don't, even don't, more sensible, sensible than transfers. Expecting. Don't buy anyone. Don't do them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alex? Um, I mean, I agree with something Simon said earlier in terms of uh, central defenders. Obviously, Rafael Varane, very good player. Um, Ramos has been at the top of, of the game for years and years now, but is, you know, he's going to be on his way out. It seems like an area within the squad where there isn't a huge amount of strength and depth. Um, so I would be looking at um, Kimpembe. I'd never say his from name PSG, right. Kimpembe. From PSG. Yeah. He's apparently quite unhappy there. Um, he's linked with Spurs or Liverpool? He's linked well. with quite a few people, yeah. I think. Um, partly, I think, because, because he's unhappy. And Marquinhos isn't going to go anywhere. Thiago Silva is, is one of the true leaders in that dressing room. And Tilo Kera is sufficiently versatile to play as a centre-back or a right-back or a right-wing-back. So... I think he's somebody who could move on. Um, you know, him and Varane have, I think, played together for France as a left-right pairing, so that that would make sense. Um, and he's a good player, and I think he's got room to develop. Uh, again, bang the drum for Jules Koundé at Bordeaux, who is exactly the kind of progressive passing centre-back that I think would work really, really well there. And Yere Alvarez, again, I'm going to yeah, bring right. him up. Getting wheeled out again. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, th- there's a solidity there, which I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking at the Galactico era, you know, they, they did have some pretty uncompromising centre-backs that were part of, you know, you have all of this glitter around it, but you still need to be able to defend really capably and you still need to have somebody who's prepared to, to do unpleasant things and, you know, win aerial Sergio balls Ramos. and all the rest. Yeah, Sergio <laughs> Ramos, basically. And, you know that there aren't there aren't a lot of centre backs in Spain that necessarily leap out to me as being particularly good at that sort of thing, but he is one of them. This is never this episode of the Tifo Football Podcast is supported by the Week. The Week is like a news filter; it pulls together the best and most interesting articles and opinion from over two hundred different sources every week. So, for example, you can read things from the Guardian, the, Guardian. the Financial Times. Financial Times. The Daily Telegraph. Daily Telegraph. Why are you doing that? I'm just trying to add to it. It also brings you multiple points of view. It, it does bring you mo- multiple points of view on, on the most important topics. Mm. And uh, in fact, if you'd like to try that free for six weeks, no. yep, you can visit theweek.co.uk forward slash offer and enter the offer code TIFO. Oh, that's good. It is good, isn't yeah. it? And what do you like about the week? Well, I like that your famous dad reads the week and subscribes, as I mentioned last week, Alex. I'm sure there must be more to like about the week than just my dad. Oh, there is. But when I get chatting with your dad, we mainly talk about the week. You've never met my dad. Oh, yeah. I've done several times. Several times. I've enjoyed commenting. Do you know, I can prove it. Do you know why? Why? I can tell you that his favourite things about the week are that it's an anti-echo chamber. Yeah, It's an opportunity to challenge yourself with different points of view. Also, he's told me, and this is true, that it's not just about news. It's about sports, science, food, arts, and more. How would I know that? If I hadn't met your dad, he also said, the week is a breath of fresh air. You can cut out the noise and get to the heart of the matter. And he said it in that very ITN newsreader voice. Yeah. You know, the one that your dad has. That does, to be fair, sound like something he would say. Well, exactly. 
okay, well, join thousands of people like my dad who trust the week as their essential curated news source. Try it yourself with your first six issues completely free. Visit theweek.co.uk forward slash offer and enter the offer code TIFO. TIFO. Okay, we've accidentally spent 35 minutes talking about Real Madrid, so we're probably going to have to move on. Uh, But Barcelona, I expect, will take less time purely because they don't need our advice. Uh, They tend to make quite sensible transfers. However, Neymar is on the list of uh, possibles to return. I don't know how sensible that is. We will get to him, though, after we discuss Frankie de Jong and Emerson. Frankie de Jong, you've written a a tactical profile on him before, haven't you, Alex? You're looking at me like you haven't. Have you not? No, I think I have. You have? Okay. (laughs) Thank God for that. I, man, uh, talk I to me about Frankie I can't de Jong. remember sometimes. Um, I mean, Frankie de Jong is, is an extraordinarily talented player. Um, he is, oh, I mean, it's, it's difficult to sum it up, but his main strengths are his ability to link the defence in the midfield, either by dropping back, and this is something he used to do at Ajax a lot, he'd drop back into a kind of left-sided centre-half position in what became a back three, and then either look to release the ball through long passes or carry the ball forwards. He's very, very good at dribbling. Um, in that kind of Moussa Dembele, like break the first line of the press sort of way. Um, at the same time, he's also quite a progressive midfielder in advanced areas. He has a degree of, of tactical awareness that means he can patrol behind an attacking three or four and be there to sort of hoover things up and then try and restart the attack or recycle possession. He's great. He's okay. really, really good. Uh, well, Simon, give us a brief, uh, again, overview of Barcelona. And then at the end of it, can you explain to me whether uh, Frankie de Jong is there to replace Sergio Busquets? I mean, I think part of the narrative is that Busquets is maybe quite at the level that we're used to seeing. Um, and obviously his age being taken into account as well. He's not going to be at the forefront and the, the peak of his game over the next few years if Barcelona are playing in the style which they're playing in. I mean, it would have been a different thing altogether. If Guardiola had stayed this whole time, he would have stayed as the absolute fulcrum and he wouldn't be, you know, he would just be so key in them having so much of the ball that there's no way that he isn't key. Um, I think under Valverde, it's not that same style at all. It's more balanced. It's more calculated. They're more thinking about how they can set up off the ball to frustrate other teams a little bit more than they should sometimes maybe. Um so, I mean, their, their kind of issues are that Barca fans aren't maybe the happiest to watch it, I think. Um, it's not as aesthetically pleasing. It's not, I mean, if Frankie de Jong is a signing that's um, obviously from Ajax, Cruyff, all those kind of links, he makes sense stylistically, philosophically, everything. Um, but at the same time, Barca maybe aren't playing the style of football that is synonymous with Barcelona at the same time. So their kind of issues, I think, are maybe just... They've got the sustained success at domestic level. They need to make it more compelling to watch. I think they need to make it more of a product. I think if you're going to have tourists coming and watching games as well, maybe that's something they're thinking as well. You need some big names. You need players that have done well in Champions Leagues. They need to fit. They need to make sure that they fit the profile of the manager. And also, I think they need to be thinking, they've claimed that Ernesto Valverde is their long-term coach. Um, I think they also need to be signing players that could make sense in a manager that's com- uh, with a with a coach that's completely different to Valverde. Because normally with coaches, if a coach is sacked, the the next person that's employed um, will be often the polar opposite of that if it's been an unhappy breakup. 
Um, so I think they need to get players in like De Jong where yes, they can play in this balanced way. Yes, they're technically astute enough to play in it. However, if Valverde leaves after a year, two years, they put an academy coach in, they bring back an ex-player. Xavi says he wants to be a coach. He will at some point go there, I'm sure. They need players that over the long term will be able to be ultra possession focused as well. So I think De Jong just makes sense completely. I think with Emerson, that, may, that one makes a little bit less sense for me. Um, he went out on loan at Betis, who were really, really desperate for wing-backs due to injuries and all sorts last season. And he was okay. Um, but I don't think that you're really going to be worrying Jordi Alba if you're okay and steady. And um, yeah, it, it is. They, I would say that maybe in terms of signings, another backup left-back. Last season, they took the risk. They only had Jordi Alba. And they had Juan Miranda, who's a young um, Spain youth international who really didn't play all too much whatsoever. Um, but then also another option would be they sent out a player on loan, Mark Cucurella. Uh, he went out on loan to Abar. Abar had an option to buy in that, so they did. However, Barca have retained a buyback clause as well, so they could immediately bring him back in. And he's a very, very decent left back. He can play on the left hand side in midfield. He can play even maybe as a winger. So I would say. For convenience, Cucurella could come back in and be that second left back potentially. With Emerson, I'm not all too sure, to be honest, where he's going to fit in. I reckon another loan could be good for him. Um, but yeah, I'd say in terms of problems, De Jong kind of fits in that once Busquets has had his day, he's there. Emerson, not sure where he fits in. So all in all, maybe another striker. I think that you mentioned before with Jovic being linked with Barcelona. Maybe the fact that, you know, Luis Suarez getting on a little bit, picks up quite a few injuries, rushes himself back a lot for club and country. The wheels have got to fall off that at some point. You know, it's, he's asking so much of his body. Um, and really coming through the academy, they've not got huge amounts. They've got a few. You've got um, Callado's done quite well in Segunda. Um, you've got the likes of Abel Ruiz, they gave the debut to, who's been a good striker at youth level for Spain he's not quite there yet. So I reckon problems wise, another striker would be interesting. And I think Griezmann has been heavily linked. Mm. That would make sense to me. He's versatile. He can play multiple positions. That, that would make perfect sense, I think. What do you think of Perez, Carlos Perez? Carlos Perez? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a youth um, person at Barcelona. Striker. Scored Carlos. nine and 26. Look, he looked sure. okay. I think he's played... He's come on for like the last 10 or 15 a couple of times. Obviously didn't catch your eye. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, that they have, to me, they seem to, again, have a slightly disjointed squad. And it seems like, I don't know whether it's it, not necessarily a lack of domestic competition, but there's, it maybe the, the issue with, with Barcelona and acquisitions is that for such a long time, particularly in midfield, they were able to rely on the production line of La Masia or the, or the production line in La Masia gave them enough players who were good enough and stayed fit for long enough that they didn't really need to look massively outside. But, but the midfield currently doesn't really shout any kind of enormous quality and certainly not quality of the sort that Barcelona are used to. Um, I mean, Arthur has done reasonably well since he's come in. But again, you, you kind of, you know, they've, they've been playing with a sort of a four in midfield without the natural players for that. Um, it seems like, well, uh, Usman Dembele has done very well. 
playing further up the pitch. He's not a natural right midfielder in the same way that he's a right winger or a left winger. And it just feels like there's, again, not quite the sort of balance and, and sensible thinking about how to construct a squad overall. Well, talk to me about Neymar then, because for, <laughs> look, for a start, it's, it's, it's an odd one. It's complicated. It's not maybe, I don't know, is it a sensible transfer? Presumably bringing in Neymar would affect the current system quite a lot. I mean, we, we remember discussing before he left the PSG, um, the, the issues with trying to get the whole front line into the team, including Usman Dembele as, as well. Does Neymar make sense to bring back? I think on just ability alone, then yes. I mean, he's one of the best forwards in the world. At the same time, he'd be returning to Barcelona with a ton more baggage. Um, obviously, he's got various accusations made against him outside of football as well, um, which is another thing which isn't, you know, it's a difficult situation. Um, I think purely on footballing ability, I mean, he can come in. I, I would definitely see that as being the end for one of Felipe Coutinho or Usman Dembele at that point. Mm. Um, it would definitely be a statement. It would definitely be a sort of, well, Real Madrid have signed Hazard. So we've brought in someone who's fantastic and he's proven here before that he's extremely productive. Um, the only thing was that maybe he left Barcelona to leave Messi's shadow and this is him accepting that he's going to drop back into it once again. But arguably he's been at times in Mbappe's shadow in Paris as well. So, um, <laughs> I mean, in terms of ability, it, it would make sense. It's yeah. just... Am I right in thinking that, that Messi's effectively asked for him back i mean there's always a lot of these kind of stories um in the sort of spanish media because it's there's a lot of kind of i'd say more player power is more understood there i think that if player power in england if you had for example paul pogba asking for certain transfers people would think why does he have the right to do that if it was maybe a more established player who's been there for a while then maybe those stories would come out but yeah i think in terms of there's always these stories that come out with Sergio Ramos wanting such and such to happen. Lionel Messi wanting such and such things to happen. And, and Messi made the announcement that they're going to be going for winning the Champions League last season. And that didn't happen either. So it's one of those things where it's, I think it's the way of saying and suggesting that things, maybe the players aren't quite as happy as they could be. I think that players would love to play with Neymar. I think that's one thing. If you're a football player, you want a player like Neymar. He would just absorb so much of the opposition's defenders' attention, fouls, everything. I mean, he would just invite it. Um, and he's just so good on the ball. He can beat players out of nowhere. He can create that little bit of something. Um, and maybe that, at times, Barca need a bit more of that. I mean, you said that they may be lacking a bit of invention in midfield, a bit of something, a bit of X factor to it. And obviously you have got Messi, who can do anything he likes, but someone else to call upon when things are looking tough would be, you know, yeah, that's I, always useful. I, I agree. I, I find it interesting that, that Barcelona used to be able to generate that further back as well and, and not just have a kind of, a, 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 it seems to me Valverde's gone for a, a midfield, which is much more, like you say, A, about finding a, a position in which to, to win the ball back, frustrate opponents, transition, and then kind of let Messi and Suarez do stuff and Dembele to a degree. Um, whereas with Barcelona before, the, the, the kind of the, the attacking progression very much started. I mean, it started with Busquets and Busquets had the ability to break defences with a single pass. But ahead of him again, there was, there was always this movement forwards and this interchange of players. And it seems like they have become a lot more static. And if you're bringing in Neymar, I, I would agree. I think it would spell the end for Coutinho. I'm not sure where he'd go, but... 
um, I, I think you're you're putting the emphasis on attacking further up the pitch again, and and effectively then creating a midfield of people who just give the ball, yeah. sort of like PSG were, you know, in the the season before Tuchel came in. We'll throw Griezmann into this as well, because let's say, for example, that, that Neymar is a serious thing. Perhaps that is the end for Coutinho. Um, you mentioned that Suarez maybe is picking up a few too many injuries or he's getting on in age. How does how do you fit, if you're at Barcelona, how do you fit Griezmann and Neymar into this? I mean, it doesn't make well, sense Well, ultimately, the front line would probably be Neymar, Griezmann, Messi. So you bench Suarez or you sell Suarez? I think it'd be a one or the other scenario, to be honest. I mean, I... I don't think that they'd be going out and spending um, that kind of money. I don't really get that from the current sort of Barcelona project as such. So how does Suarez and Griezmann fit into the same team? Um, with Griezmann, I mean, he's shown for Real Sociedad, he's shown for Atleti at times, he's shown for France at times that playing out on the left-hand side, I mean, that's sort of where he broke through as a player. Um, so he could easily return to there. And just because off the ball, that's where he needs to work back into. When Barcelona have got possession and they allow Jordi Alba to go beyond, he's, his responsibilities in terms of playing vertically are pretty much null and void at that point. He can roam, he can, he's done that for Atleti, he can drop off into pockets of space, he's the chief creator. But I just think he's got so much to his game that it would make sense. I mean, he's coming into his prime. Um, he's, not, he's got an ego in the sense that he wants to win games, but he's not got an ego in terms of throwing his toys out the pram ever. He works half of the team. He understands that the team comes before the players. Um, so he's kind of got this kind of star quality without acting in the way that is negatively associated with stars as well, I think. Um, so who, who do you choose then? But if, if it were up to you, Neymar I mean, or Griezmann? I think that just for simplicity's sake, I think getting someone in like Griezmann, he covers a number of roles. He works hard. Um, I think that in terms of Valverde has kind of shown his hand to be a balanced coach, a sensible coach. He therefore relies more on Usman Dembele off the bench than he would starting him. I think having players that can do brilliant things but don't always do brilliant things aren't at the forefront of his thoughts because he would rather trust a bit more in the system. And then you've got players like Lionel Messi to add that little finishing touch. I think if Lionel Messi had announced his retirement at the end of this season, then you would want Neymar. I think you would want a player that can do absurd things. Um, but I think while Messi's still around for the next few years, it makes more sense to have someone who is very, very talented, but is also knows their place, I think. Um, and also he's versatile. He's been the main man for Atletico and he wants to win more trophies. He's won the World Cup. Mm. He wants to win the league. He's won the Europa League. He wants to win the Champions League. And it just makes sense, I think, for him to make that natural step up. Um, okay. Yeah. One more uh, piece on Barcelona uh, would be to talk about uh, De Ligt. And of course... Uh, he now appears to be linked more heavily with Juventus and the other team. There's been a sort of carousel around him uh, throughout the summer. Uh, it's very possible that by the time this goes out tomorrow, there'll be a different team involved. But uh, am I to infer from Barcelona's interest in the player that there are potential issues at centre-back or that they're at least interested in finding a replacement in that area? I think they need to be thinking about PK um, not being there. I mean, he started the season a little bit poorly, but I think Barca in general did defensively. And then when they sort of found their feet a little bit more, um, he put in some colossal performances towards the end of the season. Um, they do need to just think a little bit more about the future in that regard, definitely. I mean, you've got in Longley and Mtiti, you've got two very, very good um, central defenders that can play on the left-hand side. So therefore, I think it's kind of this summer, they don't need someone. 
um, next summer they might or the season after they might. I think it'd be better served um, going for a younger centre-half who won't be expecting the immediate minutes or would be prepared to go out on loan. And I think from what De Ligt has said, he wants to be, he wants all the first team minutes right away. He wants to go from what he's done at Ajax to doing that somewhere else. And I think if you want that, um, you've got to go to Juventus. I think you look Barzagli retiring, uh, Cialini 34, Bonici 32. That makes so much sense. I think if his agent pushes for anything other than that, his agent doesn't want what's best for him, I think. Um, and maybe in a couple of years, um, if his progression goes as planned and he wants a new challenge and he doesn't want to be at Juventus anymore, then by all means, go for him then. Mm. But I think, yeah, they need to address, I think, the balance in the team a bit more. You've got Gerard Piquet, you've got Clement Longley, who had a great first season, and you've got Mtiti, who had last season destroyed by just intermittent injuries. And when he's fit, I mean, his first season, he was extremely good at Barcelona as well. Um, so I think it's not a priority. It, it's something where if they were to make a signing of a young player, I mean, they did sign uh, Todibo in January, but... I don't think he was ever signed with a view of being a key player for Barcelona. They've done it with Marlon in the past as well, and then he's gone out on loan. Um, so I think it's kind of, it's in the back of their minds, but it's not the first thing on their list. And I think that makes sense, to be honest. Okay. Um, to Tifo's choices then, uh, both of you have uh, one or two names you might suggest for a sensible transfer to Barcelona. Alex, I'm going to start with you. Uh, who are your choices? Um... I I don't really have a sensible transfer beyond someone like Griezmann. Okay. I I I would say not to be awkward like Simon was earlier, but I I I would be looking to as much for footballing reasons as for strategic reasons. I would be looking to go back into the youth team and and try and get players like Puig for example to get proper minutes. Um, I would be looking to to bring back that sense of Barcelona being a team with a natural progression from academy to first team that does feel like it's kind of stuttered a bit of late. Yeah, Something I mean, weird I, I has think, happened at the academy, right? Yeah, I mean, basically, I think... They, they certainly, they, they haven't, you know, they, they had a ridiculously good crop of players. But it's more than that, and, I think. I mean, someone pitched us a script idea in this, which I didn't take up at the time mm-hmm. um, for various issues with it, but... That I know that there is a story in La Masia. I just don't know yeah, what it, it is. It's kind of well. If Alex was to talk a bit more, like as he was just then, I think in the in the comments or whatever on this video when it's on YouTube, people would be calling for him to be their sporting director. To be honest, because that is what Barcelona fans would like. They would like that connection. It, it wouldn't be the first um, time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's basically been you, you had the whole generation um, under Guardiola's control, um, and obviously it's near impossible to ever top that. That's a complete anomaly which counts against Barcelona. But at the same time, the way that things have been going has been dreadful. There was the whole um, scandal with bringing players over that illegally shouldn't have been there, having them at La Masia, having to let a lot of them go. Interestingly enough, one of them they had to let go, Takafusa Kubo. He went back to Japan, uh, signed for FC Tokyo, made his debut there. Very, very good, um, both for, for club and then he's made his debut for his country in the last couple of weeks. Real Madrid swooped in and said, we'll be having him. Thank you very much when he turned 18. Um, and then there's been, there's, there were so many. I mean, it was back in the kind of era of there being players like Sergi Canos there. Um, I spoke to him. Um, he's at Brentford now. And he was just talking about how amazing it was. You had all these players and, and the diversity of it. And players are from Senegal, um, Japan, Korea, and everywhere. They've, they've basically cast the net as far wide as they can. And they've tried to, to hone these players. And they were caught out for it, um, got that transfer embargo. 
all those players had to leave. Obviously, some it, it's varying degrees of of sort of talent. It's not as if all the players that they had on the books would be successful, but even if one of them was, that would be a huge success. And and now it's there's, there's not that same trust in the youth teams. Um, I think it was back in something like 2012. It was the first time that they had a team name that was just entirely no, not one youth product in it whatsoever. Um, and then they're just losing players. To be honest, they're hemorrhaging players um, at youth level. Everyone's leaving. Um, the contract, the, the control of their contracts is just off. They're not prepared to offer the same money as other teams. Uh, Kubo, I think, was offered by Real Madrid around, I think it's sort of like 1 million to 2 million euros a year on like a three or four year deal. Barcelona are probably willing to offer him a fraction of that. They've got a player at the moment, uh, Fati, who's um, basically, as it stands, he's got some work permit issues. He came to Spain when he was very young. It would mean that if he tried to move elsewhere, it might not be able to happen. So for now, he's staying put. But as soon as he turns 18, he's fair game. And they're worried about losing him. He wants sort of Kubo level money and they're not prepared to give it him. They've lost Eric Garcia to Manchester City, who's very good. He's one of the only central defenders that are young that the Spain set up are interested and excited by. They lost Bernabe, they lost Sergio Gomez to Dortmund. They're going to lose Matteo Murray, who's an under-19 right-back who was very good uh, for the youth setup a year and a half or so ago. But Sounds he, like a crisis. He had a bad injury. He's probably going to go on a free to Dortmund. Um, I mean, th- there are just so many names and they're losing, a, 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 I think it's an under-16 centre-half, David Navarro, I believe it is. They're losing him to Atleti. Um, and then the players who have been loyal and they've stuck true to Barcelona and how they want to play and who they want to play for, they're not getting enough chances. I mean, Carles Elena not having enough chances. Uh, Ricky Puch, who's had his debut. I mean, he's still, he's not really matured physically yet, um, but it'd be interesting to see what he can do. Abba Ruiz, not had too many chances. They've got Callado, who's, played a game here and there and it just kind of gets to the point where the really really talented players they look at the pathway to the first team and it's just non-existent I mean they can't Barca can't send someone down who's been given a good pathway to the the first team since PK and Busquets really I mean Alenia's playing occasionally it's just you can't sell it and and, in all these other teams you know your Dortmunds um, your Atletis they're like look Atleti for example they gave debuts to Molejo last season, Camilo Borja Garces, Francisco Montero. There's all these players that they have given a chance to and their projects are more in transition than Barcelona's are. So there's more chance that these opportunities will arise over the next year or two. I mean, if you look at Atleti as a young centre-half like Montero, Godin's leaving, Savic gets injured quite often, Lucas Hernandez is gone, who sometimes played at centre-back. And you're thinking, I've got a genuine chance of, you know, of establishing myself and having a chance. When you're at Barcelona, there's no way. You've got to be thinking you'll have your agent in your ear knowing that you're not going to play for Barcelona. You might in the Copa del Rey in a second leg in the fourth division against a team of players who are a mix of aren't going to make it at the top level and maybe once played second division football and hate playing against kids and will kick lumps out of them, as is what has <laughs> happened to Ricky Butch. Um, but yeah, it is just, it's an inter- institutional problem. Yeah. It goes deeper than, you could do a whole podcast series on it, I imagine. And it is something that Barcelona fans, both in Barcelona and online, it's, it's just one of the biggest bones to pick with the regime as it stands under Bartomeu, I think. Crikey. Well, thank Hi, you for that. That was, <laughs> that was very thorough. That was very thorough. I think hire him rather than you. But, uh, a duo. A well, duo. You, you speak Spanish, don't you? So 
I mean, I can draw. No, no Catalan, which might be a, a, okay. bit, a, bit, a bit of an issue, but. Si we'll por favor, friends. Si <laughs> por favor. Amigos. Uh, anyway, we've accidentally done an hour, but we'll, let's carry on. We're okay. You okay for yeah, time? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no We're right. okay for time. Uh, I believe before we move on, uh, you're going to tell me about your sensible transfer option or options for Barcelona. I agree with Alex that Griezmann is the one that makes the most sense. I think they've got the money to do it. Um, he fits a couple, a couple of different roles. He's got the right mentality about him. He wants to win trophies. He's there for the right reasons. It's not because he's coming back with his tail in between his legs after things not working out elsewhere. So I would, I would say Griezmann. I think maybe if you're looking for a more inventive midfielder, I mean, it would be nice to see the likes of Elena and, and Puch get chances, but it's not really realistic. Um, I quite like, I think Sergio Canales, who's at Real Betis. I mean, he was meant to go on to astronomical heights at Real Madrid, but a lot of injuries for him, both there and at, at Valencia. Got his career back on track at Real Sociedad. Very, very good season before last. Moved on a free to Betis for last season. And he was just fun, phenomenal, really. I mean, in terms of Spanish central midfielders, probably the peak last season were, were Danny Parejo, Sergio Canales. Um, and then, you know, it's weird that Barcelona's midfielders aren't mentioned in that same sort of breath because we're so used to that. Um, but I think someone like Canales is so inventive. He likes to carry the ball, technically extremely gifted. And I think that the one thing that which held big clubs back from taking a gamble on him before was his injury record. But over the last couple of years, that seems to have ironed itself out a little bit. So I think someone like that, I think would be, he would fit in with what Barca fans want to watch. And he's got that elegance about him that I think would match quite well. Okay. Um, let's move on to Atletico Madrid then. In terms of incoming transfers already, we have Lorente and Felipe, and also we've discussed Griezmann already. Let's, for the purposes of hypothetical conversation, consider him gone and uh, who we might replace Griezmann with, because presumably that's quite a large creative hole in Atletico Madrid's team right there. So, Simon, would you, uh, again, uh, thank you, give us a brief <laughs> overview of where the problems might be, Griezmann potentially if he leaves, but beyond that as well, where the team might be looking to strengthen? I think it's just out of the top three in Spain, they are the transition team now, I think. Last season, it was probably Real Madrid. They were looking, they had a new coach in, they were looking to change the way they played under Zidane, etc. Um, this season, it's kind of, they've kept Simeone and there was a lot of sort of umming and ahhing over the last couple of years. Do they need a new breath of fresh air? Do they need to be taken in a new direction? But now that they're in the situation they're in, which is a bit uncertain as to what's next, it, he's the best manager to have in charge because I think they'll revert back to what's made them so strong in European competition for so long. And they've always had that unit mentality. They've always been a strong team. They've had a strong bond between them. Um, but I, there have been instances where Simeone's looked to change things a little bit. Maybe he's tried to evolve things. Maybe he's looked to maybe not play a 4-4-2, change to a 4-4-3. He's experimented, but it just hasn't worked out. And they, I think they'll double down on how they've always played. Um, but the issue obviously is you're losing quite a lot of important players. You're losing Godin, who is important for what he does off the pitch as he is on it. Um, you've got Griezmann going creatively. That's a problem. Luca Hernandez, one of the best young defenders in in the world, he's gone. Um, I think he's probably the biggest the biggest loss because there was kind of always the sense that Griezmann would need to go at some point. Atleti would have to spend astronomical amounts of money to be able to compete domestically. Um, and yeah, so I, I feel like if Felipe Luis leaves, his contract ends at the end of the month. That could be another player who's ready to go. Juan Fran, who's been an absolute soldier for Simeone, he's left on a free. 
Um, so all in all, they just need to somehow completely rebuild their defensive unit. And that's sort of been the hallmark of what's made Atleti so good for so long. So they need to think about what they're doing defensively. You mentioned they brought in Felipe from Porto, but he, he only moved to Europe when he was around 27. Being at Porto, he's been consistent. He's been reliable. These are good buzzwords to have, I think, when you're coming into a defence that's in transition. At the same time, maybe they do need to maybe add another central defender, maybe someone with a bit more potential projection to, to go on to bigger things. Um, but at the same time, Simeone has shown that now and again, he will give younger players a chance. And he gave Francisco Montero a chance last season for a few games, but it kind of felt like a stopgap. So for me, I mean, they need to just think about the depth there. If Felipe Luis turns around at the end of the month and thinks I'll sign a one-year extension, I think that would solve a headache for them, to be honest. Even though he's not at his peak anymore, he still played the most minutes out of any left-back at Atleti last season. Um, so really, it's I think in terms of replacing Griezmann, João Felix is the man mentioned. Atleti are prepared to pay £120 million and just have him outright, even though he's only played one professional season. But that one professional season was phenomenal for his age. Um, and he ticks a lot of the boxes. He's played off a front two in behind more of a figurehead striker in behind um, Serafovic at Benfica. So it makes sense stylistically that he comes in, he drops off the striker behind the likes of Costa or Morata or whoever, Kalinic, if he's still there at the end of the summer. It makes sense that he comes in, but it is expecting a lot from someone who's very, very young. Mm, that's a big price tag as well. Although it's as, one of the things... I've always associated with Atletico Madrid as having one incredible striker. It always seems to be the way for them. Uh, Alex, you're a big fan of Diego Godin, or at least you were the last time we talked about him, about a year ago. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a big loss for any club to lose a player like Diego Godin, isn't it? Please tell me how important it is to have a centre-back of the calibre of Diego Godin and also of someone who's been around for such a long time. Leaving, that must be a, a big jolt to the team. I think it is. I think for both of the reasons that you've suggested, you know, there's, there's just on-field ability, you know, solidity, very, very strong in the air, but also leadership and, and someone who's been there for a long time and has seen that transition occur and has seen them reach the heights that they've reached under Simeone and very much been part of that journey, to use a wanky cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the, the partnership with Jimenez, which is a partnership at club level, but also at international level. And I think they've played something like 150 games I mean, together. They'll, they'll or know each other like the back of their hands, definitely. Right. And, and again, that, that sort of partnership is so hard to develop and so important yeah. as a central defender or as a pair of central defenders to, particularly in a system like Atleti's, where that, the, the defensive responsibility keeping the spacing correct, keeping the spacing correct vertically and horizontally. You know, those are players that just need to have an almost kind of telepathic understanding of where one another will be and what they're doing. And Mm. that that's going to be extraordinarily hard to replicate. It's going to be impossible to replicate. It it just isn't going to happen. So, okay. Well, Simon says, uh, Jao Felix to replace, uh, (laughs) Griezmann. Having a little giggle about that. Makes sense to me. Uh, what are your sensible transfers for Atletico Madrid? Um, I mean, I we we talked before about um, Calero, um, yeah, and I did I pronounce his name correctly? Yeah. Yes, I know about the microphone. But when you do that, you're talking not into it. But which I can't. Is why I'm instructing I, you. I can't help it if I'm trying to talk. Use to... your eyes to look and your head to direct into the microphone. That's so weird, though. 
That's yeah. well, that my feet. This is this feels weird. Anyway, you can't complain that you know about the microphone if you keep breaking the rules of the microphone. I I know about rules that I break all the time. There you go. Look. Right. So we talked about Calero beforehand, and Indeed. and I, I I like him. I was interested to get your take on whether he's maybe physically the right sort of match for that. He seems to have a lot of the other attributes that I would want from a defender to move to that sort of club, and he does tend to play on the left hand side, but. What do you what do you I mean, think? I think in terms of where it makes sense for Clara to go next, it would be the biggest club that would match him stylistically, I think, because mm-hmm. I think the playing out from the back isn't as important at Atleti. It's not that obviously they're not footballing Cavan or anything like that. That's very much the cliche. But um at the same time, you need your two central defenders. They're going to be well protected. So they need to be able to deal with a man physically. They need to be good in the air. Um they need to be tidy with their feet, of course, but I think what comes first and foremost is that they've got that commitment, um, they've got the right style, they'll put their body on the line. He's um, a very physical defender yeah, I in mean, that he, regard. It's kind of his transition to the top level, bit playing at, at Real Valladolid is quite a, a weird one, really, given that um, he is, I think it's 23 now, um, and yet he, this is only his second pr- proper pro season. Um, he kind of came through uh, playing in the third division at Spain, which isn't really a particularly good standard. Um, his first sort of big campaign was the promotion campaign for Valladolid, where they were very, very good at the back, very organised. I think you can kind of see, not down to the absolute letter, but you can see how a player who had played in Valladolid's system could easily go and play in Atleti's system because they are quite organised, play four at the back. Um, him and Olivas last season were really very, very, very good indeed but they were protected very well. And, and for that reason, it makes sense that, you know, that's what's been true for Atleti for a while as well. And he is just sort of, he's a good age to buy. He's, I think he's available for around 13 million, 13-ish. Yeah, transfer um, marks have got him at 10, but I know yeah, that doesn't Yeah, it, because like it, well, it's with the clauses and, and what have you that players have in Spain. Um, it basically means that there's no faffing around. If you want him and it's a reasonable price, then it happens. I think it would make sense. I think it really would. They've got Felipe in. Jimenez has to be sort of the Godin heir, as it were. And then they can probably trust Savic is a good defender. His injury record, patchy. But Calero, I think, would make sense. It's, it's sensible in terms of price, sensible in terms of where he's played before and what system he's played in before. He loves the brand, does um, Yeah, so I would definitely say nice. sensible transfer should be sponsored by Fernando Calero, definitely. <laughs> uh, do we have any more names for Atleti? I mean, it is, um, I think, well, it's worth talking a little bit about Marcus Llorente, I think. Um, he's the perfect Simeone player. I think if... I don't know anything about Llorente. If, if, if I were to pick out, if, you'd have, if we'd have done this podcast last week, then I would have said Marcus Llorente, and that's only happened in the last couple of days. He is just the perfect Simeone midfielder. Um, essentially, he didn't get all too many opportunities at Real Madrid um, in terms of rushing him through and getting him in the first team at a very, very young age, anything like that. He went out on loan to Alaves in their first season um, in the league after promotion. He played um, as one of the defensive midfielders. They very much played on the counter. They were impressive. They shocked everyone. Um, they got to the Copa del Rey final. He was just probably their best player, I would say. Um, and it was kind of all out of the blue because people knew he was talented. You don't stay at Real Madrid until the age he was at without being talented. But it was just everything. He just took midfield by storm and he was making everything look very very easy Spain under 21s in 2017 he anchored the midfield did very well there 
Um, and then it's been the same as with Real Madrid midfielders in general, that they just don't get enough continuity to actually piece anything together. So he's, um, he used to play for Atleti as a really little kid before he got picked up by Real Madrid. Um, his family, he's got six family members who've played for Real Madrid. He's related to Paco Hento, who's a bit of a legend at the club. Um, he's a absolute physical anomaly um, fitness-wise. He's just incredibly, um, he's just into eating very, very well. He's just opened a restaurant in Madrid for clean recipes and et cetera. How old he's is got he? personal training. Um, he's 24. He's got wow. uh, personal trainers he works with all the time. He's been with players. I remember he was, when he was at Alaves, he lived with Ibai Gomez, who's now playing at Athletic. Uh, Ibai had left Athletic at that point, gone to Alaves, wanted to get his career back on track, wanted to feel better about himself. Basically, they lived together. They both got into the same kind of diet and Urente had this massive impact on him. He's in the form, form of his life, the fitness condition of his life, etc. So he's just this very much model pro fitness freak and if those aren't two things that make Simeone want to buy you, then I don't know what they are because that's very much, you know, he wants all these players to buy in. He wants them to be good for the team, good for the unit. He wants them to be nice guys as well. He doesn't have a great amount of time for people who are lunatics unless they're lunatics towards the opposition like Diego Costa, in which case, fair enough. <laughs> but um, in terms of the, the fee they've paid, I think it was 40 to 50 million. Rodri is likely to go to Man City. So... He's a downgrade on Rodri because a lot of midfielders are, given that Rodri's so talented, but at the same time, he can run for the full 90 minutes without start stopping sort of thing. He's tidy with the ball at his feet and he's just got the right attitude. And obviously, once you leave a club and given that all his family played for Real Madrid, he's got a massive point to prove now. Mm. And all of that is so atleti, it kind of hurts. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, I mean, if you'd have asked me two days ago, sensible transfer would have been Llorente, hands down. I think Felix makes sense if you look at the numbers. Um, but obviously it is, it is a lot of money on someone who is quite young, but if you don't act before others, then you know, you'll end up getting stung for it. And I think that's something that they're kind of worried about at the moment. Mm. Okay. Um, when we planned this, uh, well, briefly planned this podcast, yep. you said to me, Simon, uh, that perhaps it would be uh, wise to discuss other teams in La Liga. Now, I didn't know there were any other they teams do in exist. La Liga, but you, you said as a, as a true sort of, Fan and aficionado, that it would be rude uh, not to do that. So uh, I said to you, have a think about any obvious problem areas in the smaller teams, um, and if there is uh, anything now, now's your chance to talk about it. Well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about in terms of Real Betis. Um, they had Kike Setien, who's very much um, if Zidane is not Tifo branding, Kike Setien is very Tifo branding in terms of philosophy, in terms of style in terms of everything there. Um, they need to just kind of reshuffle. They've got a new coach and he's a lot more intense, a lot more direct. Um, wants a much more realistic and pragmatic sort of style, I suppose. So it's important for them to be thinking about what they're doing in terms of getting some nice vertical players. They've spent two years playing very, very patient football. And now I think the fans are bored of it. Um, and they've brought in a coach who's willing to be a bit more attacking. So they need to be looking at, you know, bringing in a couple of attacking options that have got a bit more verticality about them, I suppose. Um, I mean, in terms of Valencia, um, they probably need to get in another striker who's prepared to score quite a few goals. They've been linked a lot with Maxi Gomez. He's been linked with West Ham as well, but it seems as though Maxi Gomez wants to stay in Spain, which I think would definitely make sense for his career. 
uh, Maxi Gomez, if people haven't had a chance to see him, he's now sort of an absolute key man for Celta Vigo. Um, he's played for Uruguay a fair amount as well now. He is, he was sort of branded with the lazy sort of the next Suarez tag when he was coming through in Uruguay. But now he's sort of very much, he's just an absolute nightmare to play against, to be honest. I mean, he's so strong, fairly quick. He's got the right attitude. Um, he's sort of just a natural goal scorer um, with his head, with his feet. He's not the most sort of inventive in terms of beating players um, with the ball on the floor, but in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net, leading the line, holding up play, everything like that. I mean, not only for a club like Valencia would they be lucky to have him, but it makes sense. He's been linked to clubs like West Ham. He's been linked to other Premier League teams and, and, and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, it's always a case of in Spain, you, you never know which player is going to be basically pinched from under your nose. Um, you've got clubs who have done very well. I mean, Espanyol managed to get into um, Europe last season on kind of the final day, a bit of drama. They could easily lose their best striker in Borja Iglesias. He's a very good, he's in the same sort of mould as Maxi Gomez as well. Strong, quick, intelligent, a, a nice guy as well, uh, which I think he's kind of underplayed in terms of how important that can be in certain scenarios. Um, and, and they've also, well, as a broader problem, everyone in Spain has got release clauses in their contracts. Um, there's yeah, a couple you of, explained this to me before the podcast and I, I, I wasn't aware of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, um, you have to stipulate in a contract what the release clause is. So essentially, if a club wants to pay that, they turn up to La Liga's offices and they say, here's that money. We can talk to this player if he wants to join us, then he joins us kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, it's one of those things where it's tough to keep track of in the modern era because I don't think Neymar would have left Barcelona for Paris Saint-Germain if they hadn't have had a release clause because basically PSG could walk in and just be, right, we're talking to Neymar, we've got the money, this is going to happen if we want it to happen, if we can turn his head. Um, so, I mean, there are a few players, Ika Munayin last season, um, obviously Athletic, them having the Basconi policy, it's more more than a club sort of vibe there. It's more of a culture. He, in his most recent deal, stipulated that he didn't want one and no amount of money would be needed. But I don't know whether that's more of a token gesture and really they'd put something in at like 500 million because the the issue with clauses, I think, in Spain is that with the the market, it just keeps blowing out of proportion crazily. 10 years ago, very modest fees. Now, insane fees. And clubs need a chance to catch up with it, but you never know when the next leap will come. So you put a £200 million release clause on Neymar and you think that is absolutely safe. He signed a five-year deal two years down the line. <laughs> Suddenly the market's exploded and now it's not so silly anymore. And now everyone who's got all their players under contract is thinking, like, Christ, like any of our players could get sniped if people have got this kind of money now. Yeah. So then you see this retrospective kind of everyone renewing deals, renewing deals, putting in crazy clauses. When Danny Sabas joined Real Madrid, they put a £500 million uh, Euro clause on him. So it is just kind of with, with Spain um, in general. If you're a small club, you're modest. There's no way that an agent, unless you've got a massive affinity with your club, an agent won't be able to persuade all too much in terms of, they, they'll want low clauses. Mm. Like Osasuna have signed a player, Ruben Garcia from Levante. He was good last season. I think he got something like four goals, nine assists, something like that. He was good for them. Uh, he signed permanently for three million, but his agent has already stipulated in the deal of joining Osasuna permanently in the league next season that his release clause is seven and a half million euros. 
if he has a good season or a good half a season, he's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's gone automatically. But given that he's 27, 28, his agent wants that because he wants to use it as a stepping stone kind of thing. So, I mean, in terms of if, if you wanted to, with the whole sensible transfers, I mean, La Liga is ripe for the picking for clubs. If they've got good mm. scouts they trust in Spain, there are so many good deals you can get done that are so cheap. Real Sociedad, they bought Porto from Girona over two seasons in La Liga, and it was the first two in the club's history. He's scored a cumulatively 20 goals, formed a great partnership with Christian Stuani. Uh, both of them after their relegation, their clauses got cut in half. You could have got the pair of them. They've scored in the last two seasons, 40 goals between them. Um, you could have got the pair for 17 million. Um, these kind of things. In terms of like, if clubs are looking to spend intelligently, I think Spain, because of these release clauses, and because outside of the top six play, like clubs don't have big budgets, mm-hmm. you can just swoop in and, and have free reign a little bit, really, unless a player just wants to retire at whatever club they're at and, and they're sort of a one-club man kind of figure. Okay. Alex, I think you may have prepared a few young players from La Liga as well who may be in these sorts of positions. Money and fees aside, young players to look at for the larger clubs in La Liga or outside of so Spain I, as well. I, I, yeah, I looked, at, I looked at players in Segunda, actually. Oh, although okay. I've just been looking at stuff. Unai Lopez, uh, Athletic. He looks nice. He was on loan at Leganes. Just thought I'd throw that out. What's there. nice about him? What's His nice hair about- or... Yeah. <laughs> His hair, he's got a good beard as well. The way his face shadows at dusk. Mm. And he's an athletic player. Talk to me about um, Segunda. So, yeah, these I've, I've checked these names with Simon as well. Um, Pau Torres, who played at Malaga, um, he's on loan from Villarreal. He's a centre-back, a tall, physical, proactive defender. Um, he seems like a reasonable good passer of the ball. And, and I think based on what we've been saying about possibly uh, that being an area of general weakness or an opportunity maybe for, for players to step up and, and show value in that position, although you're kind of dubious that he'll maybe get the minutes. Yeah, that's the thing. I think a big, a big issue for Villarreal is at centre-half. It's been an issue for, eight, for ages now. It's kind of ever since they, um, they kind of waved goodbye to maybe a decent centre-half partnership about Six years ago, maybe something like that. I mean, ever since Masaccio left, essentially for Milan, they've they've struggled to kind of have a, a solid centre half partnership. Uh, Daniele Bonera is probably going to retire. I think I saw something that he might be uh, a second in command in Italy, um, an assistant manager. Um, but yeah, that they had Ramiro Funes Mori, who Everton fans will remember. Interestingly, I think, given that he had the right attitude that you want to see from your central defender, but in terms of making crazy mistakes he was one of the best in the game at just surprising you every week. And he's mm-hmm. done that last season. Um, so yeah, I mean, Pau Torres, um, Virial chose to rehire Javi Calleja. He's a past B team coach for them. He's coached at, at youth level at the club. So he's, Pau Torres has got to be feeling quite optimistic. I'd say they're linked with Raul Albiol, who would make sense too. He'd be about 4 million. He's obviously in the twilight of his career, but if you can get him in, get one good season out of him, Two good seasons, maybe if you're lucky. Next to and a then, younger player, yeah. and then I mean, yeah, you've got um, Pautaris could come in and rotate a little bit here and there. Uh, Kayak has shown that he's not afraid to give young players a chance. He's given Manu Morlanes chances, Samuel Chukwueze chances, who's a really good player, by the way. If you've not had a chance to see him, um, and just in general, Villarreal is a good club to be at to get a few chances. We've seen Rodri rise just at a crazy pace. They were willing to trust in him after he was let go by Atleti at the age of like 13. 
Um, so yeah, Pau Torres, solid player, I think. I think after you've had one good season in Segunda and you've proven that you can do something there, that's when teams at the bottom half of the league start looking and thinking, where is the value? Um, another loan in the bottom half might work. Um, another loan for to maybe another relegated club in Segunda might work, but he could easily, you know, get himself, try and get himself maybe 10 games next season, something like that, and, and move on from there. Um, but it's a decent club to be at for a young player, I think. The other one I wanted to highlight is a right back called uh, Alex Diaz, who's at extra Madura. Uh, four assists last season um, exceeded that with expected assists. He's quite small. He's about five foot eight. And defensively, he can get caught out a bit, but he's very, very quick. Uh, and he, he seems to... He's a good decision maker. He'll, he'll bomb forwards and overlap and get crosses in, but he will also hang back. He doesn't always overcommit. He will sometimes continue his runs infield and then look to be almost a striking option. So he's quite versatile, probably more of a wing back than a fullback. Um, but he's only 23 and again, would probably be super cheap. So he'd be an interesting person to look at. Okay. 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 Right. God, we ran over quite a lot there. <laughs> I hope uh, people enjoy that. I'm going to have to end this now and put the air conditioning back on because it's very hot <laughs> it in here boring, yeah. and your camera is about to die, Alex. But that was uh, Sensible Transfers, our La Liga version. Simon Harrison, thank you very much for coming in. I very much appreciate that. Uh, can you tell our listeners where they might find you for further excellent information regarding Spanish football, please? Um, well, on Twitter, at Simon H Football. Also put quite a bit of stuff over on um, Talking La Liga, a page that me and another Spanish journalist have got. Uh, so on Instagram, Facebook, at Talking La Liga, we kind of like, as you might have gathered from this, we kind of like to go beyond the front, the front sort of two or three runners in the division. Mm. Um, so yeah, if, if that sounds like the kind of thing that you're into, then definitely go over there as well. Great. Alex, thank you. Thank you. And we will see you next week with another Sensible Transfers podcast, but not related to a specific club, I think. But I don't really know. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Thanks. Bye.